Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops Podcast. Yeah, I said beer. Some had to go to make room for beer, and it wasn't going to be sec, was it? And now we need those ops guys, so sorry, Dev. Beer Sec Ops, who will be having conversations with cybersecurity industry influencers and frontline DevOps warriors to help provide us with a cloud-native security blanket. For those who are treading lightly into our hazy DevSecOps world of rainbow shundering unicorns. Welcome to the Beer Sec Ops podcast, and you are in for a treat this time. I was lucky enough to get Sam Stepanian, the London OWASP chapter leader, right smack in front of me. We met at the WeWork at Moore Place in London, and we sampled some of the fine meantime lager that was on tap that night. We talked about all things OWASP, and man, Sam has a lot he can talk about. This will be one of the longer podcasts because we didn't have to stop. That is how it went. But, you know, for the sake of the listeners, we had to cut it off somewhere and go grab a beer somewhere else, essentially. So, without any further discussion, here he is, the charismatic and very friendly Sam Stepanian. All right, let's let's get let's get a tink of the glasses on yeah. that. Cheers. Cheers. All right. This is the first actual beer psychops podcast I've done where I've had been in the room where we both had beer. That's hey, quite so a it's quite an honor. This is how it's supposed to be, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Sam, thanks for being being on the show. Yeah, thank you uh, for having me. Do you mind starting things off? Just give you a little introduction to you rather than I do it, and then little origin story leading up to where you are now, and then I'd, I'd like to ask you a few questions about what you're doing now within the OWASP community as as the sort of London chapter leader. Okay, my name is Sam Stepanian. I'm uh, an independent application security consultant by day. And during my spare time, I'm one of the OWASP London chapter leaders. Um, my background originally is a developer. So uh, one of uh, uh, classically trained developers going back to NCC, uh, Pascal, uh, um, PHP.net, uh, various so you're journey. Big, you're a big KNRC book person. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day, uh, however, in 2005 and 2006, I was leading a team of developers who were doing um, uh, working on a project of quite serious e-commerce websites. And to my horror, I discovered that uh, they were storing credit card numbers unencrypted in SQL Server database. Yeah. So, yeah, this is how my journey to security started, and I never looked back. All right. Great. <laughs> what year was that? Oh, 2005. This was the okay. year where PCI DSS uh, was just starting coming out. So there were articles in the like, Computer Weekly uh, appearing saying, oh, this big thing is coming. Uh, if you take credit cards online, you might not be able to do so anymore because there's a new standard. That was a very welcome standard. There was a lot of people doing a lot of bad things, including myself. I wrote my own e-commerce, must have been 2003, 2004. And it, I, it would, I'm hoping there's no traces of that anywhere on the planet anymore. It would have been the worst thing ever. Okay, cool. So I'm, I'm interested in what you're doing within OWASP at the moment uh, in the community. How big is the London chapter? Uh, London chapter, chapter is actually quite big now. So when we started, uh, OWASP London chapter was started in 2004. So it's actually one of the oldest OWASP chapters. And I was just a uh, member and attendee back then. Uh, only became a chapter leader in 2015, November 2015. So we had a varying degree of people, probably anything between 30, 40, 50, 60, probably in 2013, 
probably it reached, I think, 80 attendees. Now it managed to grow to 300 people. Wow. So we had, I think, one of the recent meetups we had at Amazon London headquarters. Um, it was the biggest venue we could get. And I said, we have 300 people. And I said, I can feel that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes, oh boy. So yeah, that worked out really well. And uh, at the moment, we actually have a problem of finding venues big enough, which can host the community. So um, uh, uh, the community is growing, which is, I think, very good to see. So what rate does it grow? Like, is it organic growth or other than conferences and, and getting the word out there, how do you find people find you? Um, mostly it is uh, through organic growth and conferences and uh, outreach going to developer conferences. Most importantly, and very strangely, to security conferences. We go to all sorts of cybersecurity conferences, like big industry, like C-level CISO conferences and have a booth there and people say, Oh, OWASP, uh, I know the name before, I don't know who you are. I can kind of remember it's associated with some top 10 thingy, is that who you are? <laughs> and they were like, yeah. yes, but there's still so many people who have no idea what OWASP is, which is really worrying, especially if you're at a cybersecurity conference <laughs> and even more worrying, right? Uh, that, uh, you know, they, people have no idea that we're not just a uh, bunch of standards, right? That someone needs to follow and seek the box because we're not at all. But we're a community, and we're a community of uh, people all around the world. So there are 220 chapters of OWASP wow. all around the world, and it's growing. I think only in the UK we had at least five or six chapters opening in the last year alone, which wow. is, I think, absolutely great. And, yeah, we organize absolutely free meetups for people to come and uh, network and, of course, listen to some great speakers. That's awesome. It's interesting. I was We were talking before we started recording about um, someone else who's a guest on the podcast named Andy Martin from Control Plane. And actually, in that podcast, he references OWASP London as being something that got him into security. Because that was way, about 2009, he joined the London chapter, and he lived in Bristol. Yes. And we do actually have an OWASP Bristol chapter as well, which is uh, very successful. We've been running for years as well. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, so that's 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 pretty awesome. Now, where I'm going to try and steer this conversation now, so you know that I'm coming from a position of more cloud-native um, containerization. We know that in the past few years, this whole weird movement from big monolith applications that people used to write these epic Java creations, they're pushing it more into microservices. So everything's being kind of broken up into little chunks, and they're being deployed in using elastic resources in the cloud. And that kind of can change the way you're trying to secure an application or not. Some of the same, the same ideas and concepts are there, but are you seeing that change reflected in OWASP and the way that you're talking about application security? Yes, of course. And actually that change is quite important because uh, of course, traditionally to think about security, uh, it's all linked to the waterfall model, right? Where uh, you go and uh, design the app, you then you code the app, then you test your app and probably one very last step just before you go to production, you do a pen test or you do a security test, whatever, and then you find a whole bunch of vulnerabilities. <laughs> and then the business starts, oh, shall we go live? Go or no go? Okay. And then who accepts the risk and say, that's eh, okay, we'll just go live. And uh, obviously, uh, that was when there were, I don't know, maybe uh, one or two releases per year, if we're talking about huge monolithic applications. So I work a lot with financial services organizations. So Banks in particular are very scared of uh, releasing too often because they have to now. But back in the day, it was a big problem. And now, because everything is accelerating and you're moving into the DevOps world mm. where you have to do several releases uh, a day, sometimes hundreds or maybe thousands if you look at companies like Amazon and Facebook, right? uh, 
security has to be there. And if it's not there, um, of course, uh, some bad things happen. If you just look at the statistics of how many data breaches happening mm -hmm. daily, um, and that number is only increasing. I think I looked at the, um, uh, there's an interesting timeline of all the data breaches and how many um, personal data records were breached in, like, in the last 10 years. And if you track it from 2009 to 2019, the 2019 is so big, it just occupies like the whole page. The, the blog is just absolutely massive. So, um, it, and it's, uh, I think, very, very important. I, mean, I think still uh, we're not quite there. I think it's quite important that OWASP is at the forefront of uh, all these changes. Uh, we are um, huge advocates of the whole shifting left. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to uh, mention that keyword. You know, a lot of people don't like it, uh, but... Essentially, that means you have to bake security as early as you can. And um, there's a lot of uh, things that OWASP is doing there and actually educating developers because we provide free guidelines, cheat sheets, tools, standards um, for them, and uh, a lot of open source projects where they can collaborate as well um, for them to become more secure. So uh, this, this is a, a stepping stone into the concept of, dare I say, DevSecOps. As much as you have to say shift left, you have to say DevSecOps in these in these discussions. Um, and that's I guess that's the idea of hope being, I don't know, I don't I don't maybe being controversial, but taking what DevOps has done for culture within developers. I mean, if you look at my laptop, there's all sorts of goofy stickers on the back. I go to all the conferences. There is when I was a developer and you were a developer, this wasn't there. We weren't they, we weren't heroes in the way that some de developers are these days. Are exactly, and the idea that they can become something more than that. I think the idea of being a DevSecOps champion means you have all these skills and you're actually incorporating security into the environment early. And people listening to this who are looking to become that person, OWASP is a great way to is a great start. Of course, because that's where all the information is. That's where all the information is exactly. What's also interesting and something that I said when I've done talks at developer conferences where it's like there isn't a lot of security people in there and um, is that it might actually even pay better because I don't know what the stat is now, but the, there's, always, there's usually a lot of stats around open security UX for 2020 being in the millions or something like that. I don't know if you've heard anything, yes, whether that's yeah. overinflated. Well, um, I don't think it's overflated to be honest, <laughs> because it, it, it's just crazy. Yeah, because so I think if anybody's listening and wants to get into security, then OWASP is the way forward. Exactly, and the the, and this um, what we're trying to promote OWASP is because it's not there. The problem is that uh, most developers, when they uh, go to you know, computer science courses in the universities, usually they're not taught application security. But what we have at the moment, right? We have applications, we have mobile apps, we have web apps. Apps are absolutely everywhere. No one is concerned about network security, firewalls, and things like that. But if you look at uh, the actual curriculum of any computer science uh, degree course now, mm -hmm. uh, the only security-related modules you get usually would be network security mm -hmm. and cryptography. Everybody gets that. Yeah. Application security, but this is what we're also trying to promote by working with the academia, working with the universities, working with students and saying you need to learn about application security you need to learn about vulnerabilities in the source code uh, understand them and understand how to avoid them and how to mitigate it's funny i did a python course a few years back when i was trying to transition into i don't know 
new languages and new technologies, but I was doing both Node and Python. And I noticed as I was going, because I mean, I was working in application security and I was trying to work on some automations, I couldn't help but notice, and this I think was on, it wasn't on Udemy, it was on the other one that's sort of a subscription service. There was nothing. Like, in fact, what was being taught was inherently insecure. Yes, <laughs> yes, I do remember this. And actually, I think if you can pick up a, a book from circa year 1998, 99, on uh, how to code in a classic ASP or, or build your website in PHP in 21 days, you will find it's just littered with examples of cross-site scripting and SQL injection. And these are the examples in the published books because back then no one understood these vulnerabilities. It's only until OWASP appeared in 2001 and we got the categorization of OWASP top 10 saying, yes, vulnerabilities exist and people still could not understand them. So OWASP top 10 was a great way for us to communicate to the board level. Say, if you cannot address all of them, this is the guideline. This, these are the most critical, the most frequently happening vulnerabilities that you should know about, you should, should communicate to developers, and you should be fixing any applications. So a question on, two questions on the OWASP top 10 then. Um, first one being, did the, when the OWASP top 10 was created, and I don't know how much history you know, um, was there foresight to think it was going to kind of become such a standard that it has? Because those who know about it, I don't want to say it's, it has almost become a compliance thing where they say, how much of the OS top 10 do you, can you cover with your, your security tool? Which is exactly where we don't want to be. So yeah. when it was created, it was not created as a compliance standard. By all means, do not take it <laughs> as a checkbox exercise and say, yep, we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, done. We are secure. <laughs> no, please do not do that because it's just a guideline and it's top 10 things uh, were originally created to uh, bring attraction of the um, management boards. Um, so um, that, that is where it's coming from. It is a, only to be taken as guideline. And now if you're trying to be secure, do not use OWASP top 10. Instead, use OWASP ASVS, Application Security Verification Standard, because that is the real standard written specifically as a standard that you should follow, which has uh, various uh, levels and it has specific requirements. And we have one uh, generic for web applications. And recently we released a mobile one, mobile ASVS. So these are the real standards. So please utilize those. Uh, in terms of the cloud native stuff also, mm -hmm. we now have version one of cloud security verification standard or CSVS. So I don't know uh, if listeners know about this, but it's definitely there. Just Google for OWASP container security verification standard and you will find it. Go check it out. All right, cool. So that's an action item for everybody listening, including me. Uh, so when you mentioned about most frequent in terms of the OWASP top 10, right? And there's, there was a bit of a rearrangement last release. How accurate do you think that is now, even, even within like the short amount of time since it's been released? Oh my God, there's so much controversy about <laughs> OWASP top 10 2017. First of all, yeah. it was late, right? And when originally the first version appeared, um, uh, there's so much conversation and talk saying, no, OWASP is going on, what's going on? And this is not a vulnerability, how I'm going to test for this. Um, I think at the end, because what actually helped a lot was uh, OWASP Summit, Open Security Summit, which actually brought harmony to OWASP Top 10 because we managed to get all the people concerned together and agreed. And I think we actually, the final release is, I think, very close to what were the top 10 threats in 2017. And for the listeners and for you to understand how it's actually compiled, we are get, it, it's database. 
So we went out and we asked everyone, we asked the industry, we asked the people to do penetration testing, we asked the people who do the uh, scanning, SAST and dust vendors to say, give us your statistics. And based on these statistics, we have compiled the list of most frequently uh, happening vulnerabilities in the findings. And we said, okay, now we're gonna draw a line and we're gonna compare it to what we had before we had in 2013. And this is the change. And um, I think in 2017, it, it looked good. I think it was eventually accepted very well mm -hmm. by the industry. Um, there was, uh, I think, one uh, OWASP requirement, which uh, uh, OWASP top 10 thing, which is still a little bit controversial, which is called you need to implement uh, logging and monitoring in your application because people say, well, this is not a vulnerability. But because it was so important and because we were seeing so many data breaches happening, which were making things like root cause analysis investigation impossible because there's just no logging. Mm -hmm. No one was logging. There's no monitoring. It's like, okay, we're hacked. What do we do now? How do we investigate this? And we talked to the developers and said, okay, what, what happened in the application? Who, who logged in? Who clicked on a button? Who ran the transactions? Like, we don't know. Like, okay, so this is really important. So we got that in. Um, in terms of the relevance today, because, you know, in the light of the very recent data breaches, um, I think Capital One was the most interesting one, uh, which happened, I think, two months ago. There is now conversation about SSRF, which slipped the top 10 server-side request forgery, because that is the attack which was used um, to uh, in Capital One data breach, which uh, got the attacker access to the um, S3 data bucket and the cloud, uh, which contained all that sensitive data. And now we're seeing more and more SSRF uh, style attacks. So I'm picking up quite a lot of chatter in our OWASP top 10 community, all the experts who create uh, OWASP top 10 work on this project. Uh, um, and I think SSRF is the one to watch for, especially in the in the cloud native and containerized. Excellent. So I guess where I was going second on that was, do you, when you're assessing the top 10, other than when you, things are quite obviously representing themselves in chatter, as you say. Is there is it possible that legacy applications are impacting the way the, the order of the top 10, or do you take that into account when you're creating the top 10? Because there are obviously, legacy applications are more insecure, tend to be more insecure than it, things that have just been made. It is being taken into account, okay. but again, it is based on statistics. Okay. So, um, of course, we just talked about server-side request forgery, but there's right. a, another two vulnerabilities which are no longer in top 10. So they kind of shifted in top 11 and top 12, so yeah. which means they're not in the document. That's uh, CSRF, mm -hmm. right? And uh, open redirects. So with, with this, especially with the CS, C, CSRF, or CSRF, as uh, us uh, like to pronounce it, mm -hmm. um, what happened is we can see that quite a lot of modern frameworks, modern development frameworks or application frameworks, they already have that built in. So they have the CSRF token right. built in. And of course, there's now a lot of change on the browser side to include same site cookie. So mm -hmm. anyone listening, if you don't know what same site cookie is, please do Google it because that <laughs> will give you protection from CSRF attack and will stop people uh, doing transactions on a legitimate uh, user's uh, behalf. Um, so yeah, this is why we, we, we looked at the data and said, okay, this is slipping. This is no longer top 10. And that is exactly what happened. But uh, um, Going back to the question, looking at the legacy ones, uh, we did take them into account because everything was scanned and we were looking at the holistic picture. But it's still constantly adjusting. This is a, 
the problem, as you know, with everything in cybersecurity, mm -hmm. the second something is out, it's already obsolete yeah. because everything is moving so fast. So we do have to catch up and we're trying to do it as best as we can, bearing in mind that we are still a bunch of volunteers. So Oh, us, there are 45,000 volunteers all around the world, and they're just donating their um, spare time um, to the um, to improve security for everyone. Very cool. All right, so I'm going to ask a, I don't know, a holistic question in terms of the word InfoSec versus AppSec. And something that I find that is happening within containerization is that the InfoSec world, which was largely responsible for where the applications were running, a lot of that world is being abstracted inside containers alongside of the application. And so then we have a problem with security ownership. So the InfoSec guys are, they, they're, they're responsible for endpoint protection necessarily. And then the app, the people developing the apps and now designing the say Docker files are adding layers that they require so they can, you know, design once and build and run anywhere. How is that affecting maybe, I don't want to say silos of InfoSec and AppSec, but they seem to be coming together in the style of development. Um, yeah, not probably just InfoSec, but more over infrastructure security because oh, container yeah. is your miniature infrastructure and yeah. people who are uh, working on Docker files, they need to understand what they're doing, right? And uh, especially with Kubernetes, right? There's a lot of uh, things related to network. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and suddenly saying this is not just the application, this is actually communication issue as well. So I think this is the silo which is uh, uh, needs to be addressed there. Um, I think with OWASP Top 10, with the security misconfiguration oh, yeah. uh, uh, point, I think we are addressing quite a lot of it in terms of the application. But I think in the guidelines that we produce, I think still most of the stuff in Top 10 relates to your traditional web apps. Um, and uh, for all the container-related things, again, trying to make sure we catch up. We do uh, now uh, have a uh, serverless top 10 project as well. Uh, saw that. Uh, as well as the yeah, container security verification standard. So this is something that we're trying now to uh, address as well. And this is where I think, yeah, is it AppSec, not AppSec? I think at the end of the day, it, it's still AppSec because mm -hmm. InfoSec is much wider yeah. term. And if... We are still talking with developers, or at the end of the day, they're application developers. They're not uh, infrastructure ar architects. So I think by keeping it as AppSec, I think it still works for them. Well, of course, uh, InfoSec or cybersecurity are much, much wider terminology. Um, and obviously with AppSec, we're talking specifically about application. But these days, applications are your new perimeter. Yes, exactly. So, well, I, think, I guess that that compounds the problem as we were talking about earlier. So if education systems are not designed to be teaching security in terms of just coding uh, early enough so that people having to learn it afterwards, there's now just not only that, but there's the infrastructure and the information security that they may not realize that even if I'm good at writing secure code, I might not be good at the rest of it anymore. And, and if I'm moving in from into a microservice architecture, I might take for granted that I think I know security, but... There are new facets I might need to take on. Exactly. So what do we do about that? How do we fix this, Sam? Ooh. Well, the key word you mentioned was education, yeah. right? And um, developer education, I think, is number one. I think we need to address, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, developer conferences, um, tools for developers, uh, guidelines for developers. Uh, if you haven't seen the new updated OWASP cheat sheet series, mm -hmm. go and check them out. They recently got revamped. We now have a cheat sheet for almost anything. So go and awesome. Google OWASP cheat sheet. You will find our new cheat sheet series.owasp.org website. With absolutely amazing content, which is very easy for developers to understand. It's written in, um, I think, very simple language for developers. Um, 
because I think it's also quite important because very frequently developers think they speak a different language. And this is where we need to talk about people like security champions that you mentioned earlier, DevSecOps champions, people who can actually communicate well within their own team. And I think the aim of OWASP generally is to break this whole problem of developers versus security, Mm -hmm. us versus them. And the whole security says no culture. It's like, I wrote them a fantastic app. I want to go live, but security says no. No, what people need to understand that security is an enabler because it will actually enable you to go faster. There's a very interesting analogy with the cars, right? So I think when the cars started having brakes in them, which is a security feature, what it actually allowed the car to do, it allowed the car to go faster because it's needed. You can stop when needed. Same thing with, you know, seat belts, right? If you have security features, that will actually allow you to go faster. But I think a lot of people still think of security as blocker, and that's what we need to change. We need to educate developers. If you can look at OWASP, we have quite a lot of projects. We have free tools for developers, which are uh, security tools, pen testing tools like OWASP Zap, which is our flagship project, which allows you to uh, scan any application, just give it the URL, click the, please scan this app, and it will go and um, hit this URL with um, uh, all sorts of attacks and provide you with a report, which you can consume on XML or uh, JSON or integrated within your CI/CD pipeline, uh, which I think works very well. We and use that well. Yeah, yeah. And, and developers can use it straight away. In terms of the uh, generic security education, we, are, we have lots of projects uh, where we're trying to um, gamify security uh, a mm-hmm. little bit. So um, you can download vulnerable VMs and play with them. Of course, one of the long-running projects is WebGoat, which is classes, allows you to, to learn. Um, we're also trying to run quite a lot of capture the flags. Of course, we just before we started uh, recording this podcast, we talked about uh, OWAS Global AppSec conferences. We're going to have one in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, very soon, next week. And then in two weeks' time after that, we're going to have one in Amsterdam. And we said every single OWASP uh, Global AppSite Conference, you will find a Capture the Flag competition as well, where you can go and participate in person, play the game, and um, there's a leaderboard, and uh, all the winners, they get physical prizes like drones, uh, Bluetooth speakers, uh, maybe a podcast microphone as well. Awesome. Um, and we at OWASP London Chapter said one of the things that we try to do to bring community closer, we run them locally in London at least once a year. So we had one in January this year. It was very, very successful. And we are hoping to run another one later this year as well. So everyone's welcome. And one of the interesting things about when we do run CTS for developers, suddenly we get people attending our events which never been to our events before. So never there was, was like, oh, we know we capture the flag for developers. And they're turning up all the cool. new faces, which is really, really cool. That's awesome. So I'm going to ask you a question about capture the flag then off that back of that, because I, I think I thought I knew a decent amount about application security and just generally, and then I finally went to one of these. And the reason I hadn't gone earlier is because I didn't know how much knowledge I needed to have before I went. Like how beginner could I be? How many hints were given? Or was I just going to end up sitting there feeling like a moron? And actually, it was really helpful. And I learned, it was one of those moments where you learn so much so fast because you're surrounded by people who are way better <laughs> and people who are actually worse as well. And it's sort of, it, it, it can be really educational. So I want to just make it, like if you could describe it, so that anybody can feel comfortable to attend some of these as a learning experience. Exactly, exactly. Especially the ones that we run at the Last Blender chapter, because we make sure that CTF platform that we use uh, provides uh, indefinite amount of hints to the fact that if you don't understand it, you ask for a hint. You lose points, but you ask for a hint and it will give you a hint. And if you still don't understand it, you can ask for another one until it actually solves the vulnerability for you 
and you can move on, that means that you, you never get stuck. So you will progress, maybe not as fast as the others, but you will progress and you will learn. And I think, as you mentioned, because this is an atmosphere, everyone is trying to hack the world in a couple of hours, <laughs> right? And you can see people uh, doing it and teaming, teaming up. Uh, I think just pure adrenaline um, impulse <laughs> you get from it. I think actually the learning you get uh, during CTFs, I think it's really, really cool. And also another thing that will capture that developers do not be afraid to come. You can come with zero knowledge. You just need to give us a programming language which you think you know how to code securely. Maybe if you don't know, just give a program language, whatever it is, because it's JavaScript, not JS, Python, uh, C .net, uh, Java, just come and join. And what will happen, even if you don't score the top points, right? What we do actually with all the bottom scores, we give them books awesome. as prizes. So even if you scored just one point and managed to solve just one challenge, you will still get a book. That is awesome. So can you run these on behalf of, or like say I was running Equifax, just pulling a name out of yeah. hat, and I'm saying I would like all of my coders to go on. Is this something that you can, if you want to organize this as an internal thing for all my employees, do I contact OAuth to do that? Is that something that you do? Um, not as a foundation, so okay. OWASP is a nonprofit foundation, but this yeah. is something that we do at conferences regularly, okay. right? So people attend conferences. Local chapters also run regularly, at least the largest chapters, uh, like London, uh, Los Angeles, New York. Um, I think Texas runs those. Uh, Bristol run it in the UK as well. I think I'm trying to arrange, uh, well, Manchester run it. I think quite a few new uh, OWASP chapters in the UK will be running them as well. So we're talking to Birmingham uh, chapter as well, arranging a CTF and uh, Dorset chapter as well. So then with the organization, it's a little bit different because we don't work with organizations on that level to say, okay. oh, we would like to order a CTF. No, that's not that. Okay. Yeah. So we invite everyone, we invite the industry and the academia to follow us, attend our events. Uh, everything's absolutely open. Subscribe to the mailing list, follow us on social media. Um, we, at least in London, we run CTF once a year. Make sure you send your developers. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. And whenever if there's a need, just ask us because we had several people asking, when's the next CTF? Are you going to run another one? I said, okay, now we'll have to run another one because there's enough there's enough interest. Awesome. Cool. So you mentioned the the, the new serverless OWASP top 10. Uh, actually, in the, I've, there's another podcast that will come out with our serverless guy. He also mentions the, the serverless OWASP top 10. Uh, are there any other, anything else in sort of the cloud native space that is specific that's going on within OWASP? Uh, yes, so there's a cloud security project as well, mm -hmm. and um, it's quite interesting because this is all about threat modeling. Oh, and cool. threat modeling is another concept that we haven't talked about, but another thing that needs to be there as a part of the whole shift left paradigm and baking security as early as possible. So you need to think about your threats. You need to make sure that developers know how to think about threats. And then how do you do it? It's like one of the ways how you can do it. There's another OWASP project, which you can use not necessarily on the cloud project, but on any project, is by putting security stories in your backlog. And mm -hmm. if you don't know what security stories to put in your backlog, we have them. We have a whole bunch of templates. You can go and Google OWASP security stories, and you will find a whole bunch of uh, stories uh, for your agile development. And they all start with, uh, as an attacker, you know, usual stories is that as a user, I would like to click the button and open the website, right? Our security stories is that as an attacker, I can go to the website and try all sorts of combinations for using passwords from a data leak I stolen from another website. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> and the developer says, oh, okay, what do I do to solve that, right? If someone gets a whole bunch of usernames and passwords they, they've stolen and there are millions of them they can run versus my website, how do I stop this? Or it could be a, a story uh, related uh, brute force attack, for example. Just giving you a simple example, we have hundreds of the security stories which are already there, they're already written. All you have to do is just utilize them, they're all on GitHub. Cool. And that gets their imagination going. Once they start reading these things, it's like your brain just starts ticking over of all the other ones you can come up with on your own. Exactly. Very cool. Because this is what it encourages you to do. Developers, they think as developers. They think as builders. They yeah. build something, which is great, right? But they don't think as attackers. That's why uh, to we can help them and say, okay, if you're an attacker, this is what an attacker would do. Because, you know, usually if you go and look at any security company, right, you, you will find out that uh, this is a bit of a legend, right? That security companies usually go and they uh, hire or contract um, some of the ex-criminals, like ex-robbers, yeah. right? Uh, and, uh, and, and they consult them. So how did you get in? What did you do, right? How did you know which door to open? How did you know which camera wasn't working? So same thing with the uh, um, attacker stories. So it will make the developer think, Okay, how do I secure the code? Because, of course, security, the reason why security is so hard for everyone, because it's a non-functional thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a side effect. There's a talk that we have at Oswald where security is a side effect. Because developers, they work on implementing a functionality. They say, I've implemented a login screen. And it goes to the database, it checks the username and password. And if this username and password match a record in my database, the user is authenticated, is logged in. They will not think as a side effect that might be a SQL injection and an attacker might stick uh, some funny characters and they use them in passwords, which will cause the system to authenticate anyone. So they, yeah, yeah. Once, once they get their brain thinking about abuse cases as opposed to use cases, that makes them better coders. Exactly. Excellent. Excellent. And we have those. And yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's like a Sylvester Stallone film or a Catch Me If You Can. They hired him afterwards to look into counterfeiting. Exactly. And this is actually a very good analogy how we can get developers into security because um, a lot of people think that developers don't like security. This is a lie. Show me a developer who doesn't like security because they only like security which blocks them. Okay. Yeah. Well, every single developer wants to be more secure. No developer goes in, into the office in the morning and say, okay, today I'm going to start coding and I'm going to start coding in a very insecure manner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to break everything. No, of course they want to be secure, but they, to try to encourage them, you know, they hold, you know, so that's still on the spy stories and thinking as an attacker, as an attacker, right? It, it, it's what we do, right? It's, uh, um, I think that's how we get developers um, engaged. And it's becoming very cool. I mean, if you, there was a, I think I saw it on Reddit, uh, the first millionaire uh, white hat hacker uh, simply through bug bounties. Exactly, exactly. On Hacker One platform, that's I think it. it was two, two weeks ago, there were six first security research, researchers who achieved $1 million through bug bounties. That's unbelievable. That's so cool. And it's, it, there's a certain amount of fame if you go to the Black Hat and the DEF CONs out there associated with these people. And some of the talks are fascinating. Okay. Um, have I not asked you anything that you want to talk about? Probably just, I don't know. I think we talked about quite a lot of interesting things. That was things. good. I think projects. I think I would like to talk more about that last project because we talked about um, cloud security and ASVS. Yeah. Um, was there anything Zap. Yeah. Did I think it's Zap? just important to say that there are other projects and the tools available, um, including... Um, uh, OWASP Security Knowledge Framework, SKF, mm. which is another interesting tool. It's not a flagship, but basically it's like a Wikipedia mm. of uh, all the vulnerabilities, which explains to developers what they are 
and it gives examples of source code in various programming languages that they can just look at and understand and say, okay, this is the bit of source code that I would write, and this is what's wrong with it. This is the, where vulnerability is. And this is how I should be writing it to make it more secure. Ah, cool. So yeah. it's a good example because a lot of companies, they go and say, okay, how do I work with developers? It's like, what do we do? We need a wiki. It's like, okay, how do I get content for the wiki? I need to copy paste it from somewhere. It's like, well, please don't <laughs> just Google OWASP security knowledge framework and you will get a VM which has that wiki for you there and you can edit it and it already comes with several programming languages examples uh, baked in. Wow. So there's a lot going on at the at OWASP. And what if somebody had their own project, their own ideas? You guys are open to... Exactly. Obviously... This is O and OWASP stands for open, right? Yeah. Open web application security. Even though the word web, I think it's a bit um, getting a bit older. People say, what? Open <laughs> web? Is it just about web? I said, well, originally, because back in 2001 when we were created, there were no mobile applications. And so that's why it was open web application security project. But we're open and all the projects, they're open for co contributors. They're all on GitHub. You can go and check them out. And they all need contributors. So please, if, if you go and check out the OWASP tool and you think it's great and you know how to make it even greater, just do it. Just um, You can just do a pull request. You can join our Slack, owaspslack.com, where you will find thousands of people from around the world discussing various projects. Uh, we have mentors there, a mentorship channel, where developers can say, well, I would like to have a mentor to teach me some uh, security. Or, you know, uh, we were talking about how do I get into security? I'm a developer. Um, so all these resources, they are, they are available. Cool, cool. Anything else that I missed? Do you want to ask me about uh, uh, what are my favorite OWASP tools? So coolest tool, I have a coolest latest tool. Oh, yeah, I'm going to tell you about coolest tool really? that I released recently. All right. So what is what is your favorites? You must have a favorite security tool or... Uh, yeah. So OWASP has lots of great tools. And of course, everyone knows tools like Zap and uh, a tool which is really very relevant for, for example, container security, open source security is dependency checker. Yeah. Um, but there are two uh, new tools which I would like to cover specifically, which are just released recently. I'd like more people to download them and check them out. One of them is called OWASP Metaka, and this is not your standard application security tool because this is like a, a pen tester's uh, Swiss Army knife. Mm -hmm. um, OWASP Metaka. It was created by a whole bunch of students as a Google Summer of Code project, uh, and I, I think it's really cool. Go and check it out. We did a Black Hat Europe presentation on it uh, last year in December in London, which um, uh, went really, really well because there's so many people from uh, your traditional pen testing background and say, oh my God, there's an open source tool from OWASP which does all this stuff written in Python and it's so helpful for pen testers. And another tool which is uh, absolutely fantastic uh, is OWASP Amass. So OWASP Amass is a subdomain uh, discovery and reconnaissance tool. Oh, and it cool. also uh, has some really great visualizations as graphs when you can see at all your ISNs and all your subdomains you knew nothing about. And suddenly you can get this amazing picture with uh, all the dependencies between the different domains and ASNs. And uh, you gain visibility that you've never seen before. Of course, you gain to discover all the subdomains you never knew existed. So talking about things like shadow IT, or again, talking about you know, cloud security, where people go just spin up a new applications, register domain name, and the organization knows nothing about it. Wow. So that is a very cool way of finding out. So recently ran it on a very large company. and. <laughs> They were absolutely fascinating. So OWASP Mass is absolutely great. And um, it's uh, written in Go, by the way. If, awesome. if you're a fan of Go language, uh, go uh, check it out. It, it is pure Golang. And one of the very interesting things about OWASP Mass, I have to mention that it's just been included in Kali Linux. 
Pentester's favorite uh, awesome. uh, Linux distribution, and you can just um, uh, use it from there straight away. Excellent. That's like an endorsement. Anything else? I, I have a feeling if I keep saying anything else, you're going to come I, up with more. <laughs> I can go for ages. Um, probably, I think we probably need to uh, talk about the community as well and the meetups and chapters. If you uh, so talk what? about so, so how frequently around the view, that's whether if someone wants to come to OWASP uh, chapter uh, events, how do they do that? So why don't I end with that? Mm -hmm. uh, do an intro for you, Sam, where you tell anyone who's listening how to be a part of this. Yes, to uh, be a part of um, OWASP, you can, uh, of course, uh, join our chapter and you don't need to be a member. All you need to do is just uh, join our mailing list, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and find out when our next event is and come and join, get a ticket. I have to warn you, the tickets go really, really quickly because <laughs> the size of the venues we can get in London, uh, they provide an 100, 200, maximum 200 seats. And uh, the demand is, is huge. That's why we're trying to run the events a bit more frequently. But uh, we welcome everyone. Uh, events are free. And uh, uh, the sponsors and vendors, they put in free pizza and beer. Amazing. How long? How much does it cost to become an OWASP member these days? Uh, it's 50 US dollars mm -hmm. uh, if you would like to become a member. Of course, we, we want people to become members. But you need to understand that OWASP membership fee is a donation to yeah. the OWASP Foundation. But it does give you some really cool advantages. So uh, a few of them I need to mention. So one of them, you get an OWASP.org email address, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So I said, why well, I have an OWASP.org email address? That's another. <laughs> another advantage is you get discounts to quite a lot of cybersecurity conferences, mm -hmm. and they can be discounts from anything from 10% to 90% for OWASP members, which is also really, really cool. Um, Another uh, benefit you get is that you get a uh, Google Suite, G Suite, with unlimited cloud storage. We're talking about cloud now. That's so amazing. There you go. So uh, you, you get something uh, technical. You can uh, store all your documents in. Uh, but most importantly is you get a right to vote. So if you would like to change something in OWASP, you can vote for the vote members. And uh, this is where the membership is very important because it gives you uh, a vote. And then uh, every year we have elections. And if you would like to vote for a particular person who you think is going to contribute and uh, change the direction of OWASP um, the way you think is the future, once you become a member, you can vote. Cool, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Sam. That was awesome. I underestimated how much you would have to say. And I imagine we could probably sit here for hours. And all that means is that I have to have you back. Cool. Okay. All right. Excellent. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks very much. And that has been this episode of Beer Sec Ops Podcast, powered by Aqua Security. I've been your host, Steve Jaguar. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.